Exodus, the third chapter in the 14th verse. Uh, I do want to talk about, uh, I think, a very critical subject. Now, all of this you guys know. This is nothing new, uh, but I did want to go over it. Uh, Exodus, the third chapter, the 14th verse. You're familiar with this <clears throat> verse of Scripture. And uh, if you'll stand, we'll read the word. Exodus 3.14. Let's read it together. You should see it up there. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Amen. Now you know this is God's response to Moses saying, Who shall I tell them sent me? And this is God's answer. You tell them that I am that I am. I am that I am, and thus thou shalt say to the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And so I want to speak to you just a couple minutes on the subject, open the gate, open the gate. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us. Thank you, Jesus. God bless your word tonight. We thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your presence. Oh God, we thank you for your touch. What an honor to be in the house Oh, God, that you have built, be part of the body, God, that you have formed. And feel the presence, oh, God, that you have given unto us. What access we have. Bless tonight every family, every man and woman and child. Bless our homes, oh, God, our pathways, our journeys. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Shake somebody's hand around you. Y'all been sitting for a minute or two. Shake hands and get the blood circulating. Praise God. Open the gate. Amen. YHWH, this is, uh, you may be seated, this is called the Tetragrammaton. And I want to speak just a little bit. In the Old Testament, um, we know those of you who have been reading God's Word for a long time, the Old Testament uh, name of God was unknown uh, to the children of Israel. Um, and those who could utter it would only be the high priest, and they could only utter it in certain circumstances. Um, and so I'm going to talk just a little bit about the progression of the Old Testament uh, in terms of the name of God into the revelation of the name of God. And then at the end, to put emphasis on this, we're going to switch back and go the other way. And so I'll tell you what that means or why that's relevant here in just a little while. The Tetragrammaton, referred to in rabbinic literature as Hashem, <clears throat> the name or Hamfarash or Shem Hamfarash, the special name. That's the word that's used to refer to the Tetragrammaton, which is the four-letter word. So in literature, in rabbinic or the literature of the rabbis, they would use that word Hashem. That's not the name of God, but that referred to the name of God. They used it to refer to it. And the four-letter word, um, the four-letter word that I just showed you is called the Tetragrammaton. And it's yod heh It's Y-H-W-H. And uh, if you'll notice in, in literature, if you'll go into some different websites, uh, Jewish websites, you'll see that even when they say or write the name Lord, they leave out, um, they leave out, they only use the consonants. They only use consonants. Uh, they will not use vowels. So it'll say L-R-D. And they won't even use um, 
they won't even use the O because the name of God is too holy. So the Tetragrammaton is, um, is Yodhevahe, and that is the name of God used in the Old Testament. It's actually in the New Testament too. In fact, I told you the other night when they said Alleluia, I talked about Jehovah, and that's what some people call YHWH. It's Jehovah, but that's the name of God. And, and when they wrote literature, they wouldn't say it. They wouldn't use it because it was too holy. The name which some people pronounce as Yahweh and others as Jehovah, look at this, appears 5,410 times in the Bible. 1,419 of those times are just in the first five books of the Bible. That means it's significant. So over 5,000 times in the Bible is the Tetragrammaton used, yod or Yahweh, or Jehovah. The four letters of the Tetragrammaton form the root meaning, this is important, to be, and some have understood the original meaning to be he who is, or he who brings being, into being. Uh, you know that a long time ago I brought uh, my copy of the Torah here. And when the Lord told Moses, I am that I am hath sent you, remember in the Torah it says, I will always be what I now am. So tell the children of Israel that I will always be that I now am hath sent you. And so it's very powerful because you're talking about a whole nation of people who for centuries, thousands of years, without even being able to utter the name of God, have believed in Him. And when I thought about this, I thought, what an example of confidence that we should have in God when nation, uh, nations of people, particularly the Jewish nation, has affirmed, attested to, and trusted in God without even being able to call on His name. And sometimes we require affirmation, clarification, validation. I have to have more Asians to make sure that, God, you're still up there. And we're talking about people who never were able to know it or utter it. All they would be, be able to say is Hashem. And that's just a name that refers to God. I couldn't even say it. And yet... After 400 years in slavery, their cry goes up to God. Who is he? He's just, as they would write it now, G hyphen T. I don't even know his name, but I know that he's above and I know he created me and is watching over me. How much more should we have full confidence and this confidence we have in him? Praise God. I believe Him. I know that he, not only He exists, but He sees all of us because He brings things that are not into existence. It says here, He brings being into being. He's the Creator. He makes something out of nothing. I went out last night and I looked up at the sky and, and I thought, my God, look at that. And I turned off all the lights and I don't know if you saw the sky last night, but it was almost, it was the most beautiful blanket with sparkles on it that I've ever seen. And if, if I would have been in a place where it's dark, sometimes my son used to go between here and Carlisle and find one of the darkest places and turn out there and just, and just get out of the car and look up in the sky. And it's the most beautiful display of the glory of God. It doesn't, you don't have to work hard at seeing how powerful God is. 
You know, and, and you can say nature, and I understand all that. God puts stuff into motion. That's God's handiwork. And it was so beautiful last night. Uh, you know the Shema. We've talked about the Shema. Uh, some Bibles have a whole piece, two pages in my Bible, just on the Shema. It's in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter and the fourth verse, fourth verse. And it's so poignant and important to know the Shema. You don't have to... You don't have to know it like maybe the Jews do it in the morning and they say it in the morning, they say it in the evening. But it's important to know the meaning of the Shema. I've, I've put here the words. They, it, this is actually in English, but this is the way it's spoken in Hebrew. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And of course, this reads actually from right to left. So the first word is Shema. But it reads the reverse of how we read left to right. They read right to left. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Echad means one. Everybody say one. one. Every Jewish scholar will agree that Echad means cardinal one. That is the number one. The Jews made no mistake about this, and, and people will say the Jews are what? They're monotheists. That means they believe there's only one God. That is the cardinal one. They are not polytheists, which means many gods. They are monotheists. And this is, here's what's beautiful. God touched a whole nation of people thousands of years ago. How about Abram? who was a polytheist come out of Ur of the, came out of Ur of the Chaldees and God called him from polytheism to believe in one God. One God. And this is the cardinal one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The, the word one in Hebrew is echad, cardinal one. And then in the fifth verse, just to emphasize the point, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God. How many? The Lord thy God, cardinal one, echad. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and all thy soul and with all thy might. This means, and, and I was talking in the class this morning about I must decrease and he must increase. Let me tell you something. The decrease and the increase is right up there. When you love God with all, that doesn't leave much left for me. In other words, I'm not, I can't assert myself above when I'm giving God everything that I have. You've got to love God with everything. And it still amazes me when I think about here a whole nation of people that God's talking to. And I'm, all I'm going to tell you is, I am that I am. He's everything. He can do everything. The Shema... This is by one rabbi, just to show you I'm not saying this. The Shema is an affirmation of Judaism and a declaration of faith in Cardinal One, one God. And you say, is this important? This is critically important. When I pray, I'm praying to one. I trust in one. I believe in one. It makes it a whole lot easier. There is one. And this is all throughout the literature. This is throughout. And so as we go through the Old Testament, God begins to reveal Himself 
uh, and we begin to see that God has a plan after the fall of man all the way through the Old Testament and we start reading scriptures about God in flesh obviously prophecies in Isaiah the seventh chapter the ninth chapter and the word was made flesh in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word was made flesh God in the immaculate conception manifested himself in flesh and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory they talked about the Shekinah they sang about it this morning I only know of one holy glory and that is Shekinah Shekinah means it's the presence of God. He said, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Matthew 1.23, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted. This comes from Isaiah, the seventh chapter. This is fulfillment of prophecy. What's being quoted here comes from Isaiah, the seventh chapter. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is what? God with us. Mary gave birth to a child, and his name, you would refer to him as, that is God with us. So after all of the thousands of years of the children of Israel crying out to God and not knowing his name, God reveals himself in flesh because God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship in him spirit. And so he's a spirit. God takes on a body in the New Testament and doesn't just reveal his name but actually shows up in a body, a corporal body and shows the world who he is. My God, this is the most incredible revelation for mankind who couldn't even utter the name of God. And now you're looking at the face of Almighty God. God can put himself in flesh. We already saw in the Old Testament, I can put myself in a burning bush. I can come and display myself as an angel. I can become anything you want. But the thing that's going to save you is if I wrap myself in flesh and die on a cross. God with us. Jesus goes on to say, John is full of this, full of these illusions. Jesus says, I and my Father are one. The disciples are struggling because he talks about the Father. He talks about the Son. And, and so he has to make it clear to them. And he, so he says, I and my Father are cardinal, not composite one, but cardinal one. My, I and my Father are one, John 10.30. That means oneness in power, oneness in their very nature, and oneness in essence. This is one God, one God, one Father who is above all and through all and in you all. Praise God. Powerful come from the Old Testament. I can't, Hashem, oh call on God. Who is he? I don't know. And all of a sudden, in the plan of God, my God, his name is Emmanuel. God with us. You asked the Jews what that meant. When he said, I and my father are one. If you think the Jews took him for maybe as separate entities or well, just ask them. Look at here at this verse, 1033. 
The Jews answered and said, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, and because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. The Jews knew exactly what he was saying. They said, You're saying you're God. And he said, I am God. Do you know who's walking among you? I am God. This is me in the flesh. That's why they were offended because they got what he said. It just offended them. You blaspheme because no man can say that he's God. That's right. But I'm not just a man. I'm God. Praise God. John 14, 9, Jesus saith unto him, this is the, the discourse with Philip. Philip, still struggling, and said, Lord, show us the Father. And he says, Jesus saith unto, them, uh, unto him, have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest then, show us the Father? Philip says, show us the Father. Jesus says, you're looking at him. You're looking at him. Well, show me God. What a revelation. Then we get into, then we get into letters to the church. And Paul says, he understands it, 2 Corinthians 5.19, to wit, that God was in Christ. Reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Colossians 2 9 through 10. For in him, in Jesus Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. There can only be one who is the head of all principality and all power, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is his name. What a revelation for this generation to know I know the name of God. I know we all know this. It's still exciting. You say, I knew that. I know. Praise God. If you didn't, this is why it's so important to know who you're, who you're praying to. Who are you calling on? Who are you trusting in? Who do you believe in? Who do you believe in for your healing? It's not the Old Testament God and now here we come into here with Jesus and I, honey, all the fullness of the Godhead. Uh, you're talking about such a powerful, powerful potentate, uh, a powerful authority, a powerful entity and all the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus bodily. When you call on that name, you're invoking the most powerful uh, revelation uh, in God's word. Praise God. So here's the key. The key to open the gate. I'm actually almost through. I've only got 35 slides left. Oh, you think I'm kidding. I'm not. The key. John 18, 5 through 6. And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus saith unto them. This is why I did all that stuff to get to here. I am he. Now you can read commentaries and they'll tell you, when Jesus said, I am, they took him literally. 
There is only one who can say, I am. God, who shall I tell them sent me? I am. Who do you say you are? Now fast forward to Jesus. I am. Oh, they made the connection. Look at what happened to him. He said, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. What a marvelous revelation for people who did not believe him, Judas among them, I think it was intentional to put even a betrayer among them, and even the betrayer was awestruck. Now some theologians will say, well, they fell backward because they were astonished that he would say such a thing. And then others will say, when he uttered the I am, there was such power in those two words that they couldn't contain their posture or their stance. When he said, I am, I am the God of the Old Testament. I am the God of the New Testament. I am he. I am the one who was and who is and who is to come. I am the Almighty. When you utter that name, you're uttering the ineffable, the ineffable name of God Almighty. When you call on that name, you're invoking the name of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When you say Jesus, you're calling on the God of all creation. When we pray for you in Jesus' name, we're asking the God who created you to heal the body that he made. Praise God, it's time to open the gate. It's time to open the gate. They fell to the ground. They fell to the ground. Praise God. Now, I want you to think about naming the gate that's holding you. Because all of us have stuff in our life that hold us. They hold you. They keep you in check. The gate keeps you in check. Maybe your gate is called fear. Maybe your gate is called uncertainty. Maybe your gate is called doubt. Maybe your gate is called unbelief. I don't know what it's called, but it's a gate that has limitations. God has no limits. We've got to open the gate. We've got to have the key that opens the gate. It's not God's will that you stay behind his presence, that you stay outside of what he wants to give you, that you feel denied of the promises that God has made to you. That is not God's will. God, give us the key that will open the gate to give us freedom. I don't want to stay outside of the full authority of God's word. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss an opportunity for God to do something incredible and miraculous. But you've got to get beyond the gate that holds you and holds you within limitations. Praise God. Well, then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, 
But such as I have, give I unto thee. Praise God. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. That's the gate I want to be at. I don't want to be at the gate that tells me I can't be free from sin. I don't want to be at the gate that tells me I can't have a miracle. I don't want to be at the gate that tells me I can't be delivered. I'd rather be sitting at a gate called beautiful. Of all gates to sit at. And you know why it was called beautiful? Because it was the last step to go through to get into the temple. The last obstacle to go through to get into the presence of God. And this man is expectantly, since birth, people are carrying him to beautiful. Every day, go to beautiful. But I've done it my whole life. We're carrying you to beautiful. I can't carry myself. Well, we're some believers. We'll carry you to beautiful. Every time you bring someone to the house of God, you're carrying them to beautiful. Every time you invite somebody, you're opening up the door to beautiful. Honey, if you do anything, please tell the people around you who are faithless, who have unbelief, that there is a gate called beautiful, and there's a key to that gate. By all means, let's take them to beautiful. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. Peter reached down and he pulled out that key and he turned the lock. In the name, I'm invoking the power of the God of heaven. And I'm going to unlock a gate that has kept this man inside of his infirmity all of his life. This man, it says nothing about. We've already had Acts 2.38. It says nothing about this man having the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is just a man who comes to the gate because people believe for him and they want him to sit there until God does something. Why would I sit at a gate to which I have no access, through which I have no access to the temple? Why sit there unless you believe that one day somebody will have a key that will open that gate and allow me to come in? Why would anybody come to church and expect less than a miracle? Why do you come to church unless you want something incredible? Why do you come to church unless you're believing God for the impossible? Why do you come to church unless you believe God can save and deliver and heal your body and cleanse your mind and your spirit? Don't come to the gate beautiful unless you believe that God has the key to unlock it. I don't want to sit within my limitations my whole life. God wants to set you free. And so Peter gets the key. He comes from the day of Pentecost and he says, I don't have what you're asking for, but you've been sitting at this gate long enough. It's time to go through it. He unlocks the door and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. That's all it took. The God of all creation. 
He knew that man's name when he was born. We don't even know his name. But God did. And he went, he sent some people out who had the power of the Almighty. And they invoked the name that's above every name. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ. And when he did that, he took the responsibility off of him to the one whose name he was invoking. It's not about you. It's not about how you say it. But it has to be said in faith. It's not who says it, but you've got to believe it. You've got to believe it more than anything else in the world. If you want the power that is released when that key turns that gate. Now, the man jumps up. Strength comes to his bones. All of his life he's been lame. He goes into the temple shouting. The first time the man has been able to go in the temple because see back then you couldn't go in the temple if you had lameness, if you had an infirmity. You weren't allowed in. When they invoked the name of the Lord God of all creation in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, man's strength came in that man's leg just through invoking the name. It wasn't that the Apostle Peter used his strength as a fisherman with his biceps and yanked him up. If it would have been about that, he'd have fallen right back down. But he invoked that name. And when he did, power came into that man's limbs. And this is what he said when people questioned, how did this happen? He said, and his name. Not the man's name. He said, and his name. Through faith in his name hath made this man strong whom ye see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. His name, through faith in his name, hath made this man whole. If you want to break through the gate, you've got to invoke the name and have faith in the name and it will make you whole. I don't know if there's any other way I can say it, but I'm telling you that name is powerful. Let's stand together. What a powerful name. There's no reason for us to stand behind a gate and look longingly through the bars of the gate and wish we could have deliverance. Look longingly and wish that we could see God do something. Just sit there and hope that one day Honey, all you have to do is call on the most powerful name on earth. You don't have to wish. All you have to do is call on the name. If it did it then, it'll do it now. Don't dilute the name. Don't let circumstances dilute your faith and make you think that it's different now than it was then. When Peter and John went to that temple, there was no doubt in their mind that when they said in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that that man would come up. They had no doubt about that. They weren't afraid of it. They said in Jesus' name. Did that man believe? We have no idea. But they did. 
I'm going to speak against every spirit of doubt that makes you think that your prayer doesn't make a difference. I said that your prayer doesn't make a difference. But I thought that the unbeliever has to believe. We don't know that's true in this story. There were just two believers filled with the presence of God, filled with the Holy Ghost, and they said, in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, what did it? His name through faith in His name. It's not just saying the name like redundant repetition, but I believe that when I say that name, something's happening right now. So whatever gate you're appearing through tonight, whatever gate you're in, whatever gate you're behind, you might be appearing through it saying, I hope in 2020. God, I just hope. The Lord's saying to you tonight, it's not about wishing. Invoke my name. I'm the God of the Old Testament. I've never changed. I'm he who was. I'm he who is. And I'm the one that you're going to see when the trump sounds. Invoke my name. And have faith when you invoke it that the miracle is going to happen. Don't come before me in prayer looking longingly through the bars of the gate of doubt. It's your doubt that's holding you back, but my name can set you free. Whatever gate you're behind tonight, whatever struggles you may have, I want you to come to the front. And we're going to invoke the name above every name. I don't care. We all have gates. Everybody does. But I believe what God is telling us tonight is don't stay there behind the gate. God brought you tonight with your gate to a place on the other side of beautiful. If the gate was called beautiful, what do you think the name of the temple is? My God, if the limitation is called beautiful, what was it like inside? Inside that man was shouting and dancing and praising God. He entered the glory of God. You're at a gate tonight, but it's beautiful because on the other side of it is victory, is salvation. Somebody told me this morning and said, Brother John, I'm believing. My theme this year is victory in 2020. I said, you're going to have it in Jesus' name. Invoke the name. I want you to do it right now. Whatever gate you feel like is keeping you back. Remember, when you say that name, you're invoking the name of the God of heaven. The one who created the sun, the moon, the stars, the constellations. The one who called them by name. The one who died for those yet unborn. In Jesus' name, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. name. That's the key. In Jesus' name. It's your name through faith in your name. In Jesus' name. Demons have Hallelujah. When I say Jesus. 
Hallelujah. Come on, invoke the name. Invoke that name. Hey, it's above every name. Jesus, Jesus, every knee will bow before and every tongue proclaim. 